Hi, and welcome to Edge Church Podcast. To get connected, visit our website or send us a WhatsApp. Say hi and we will connect with you. Our full services can be found on our YouTube channel. Today, we're in our Plot Twist series, focusing on the story of Joseph. Enjoy listening to the sermon today. Everyone, good to see you and to our online congregation. Good that you're joining us today. Well, we're in walk, week, walk four, and week four of uh, our series plot twist. You don't even want to know what I said in the first service. I am so grateful that only our 1030 service goes online and not our first service. But anyway, um, the w- words are hard today for me. But we are in week four of our series called Plot Twist. Uh, where we've been going through this journey of Joseph, where we've been unpacking the story and seeing how we can associate and just see the real relevance of his life, how it's so true in our lives, that for majority of us, we've experienced that thing called plot twist. You know those moments? I didn't see it coming. Those very times you're thinking, I didn't expect my life to be here, and this is where it is. And last week was an incredible, powerful service. I wasn't here, but I, I saw it online, and, and, and just the feedback, where we spoke into the power. Tony shared a message on the power of forgiveness. And there was a significant moment that happened at that cross, and I'm believing that God is still doing a deep work in that area. But week four, as I conclude our series, Really, if I have to summarize and just take us to where we are now in the book of Joseph in Genesis is chapter 49 and 50 summarize basically what is happening in this moment. Like we heard last week, there was this amazing moment where Joseph and the brothers and their father, they come together and they finally are a family again. And, and, and there's forgiveness that is shared and all of that. But at this point now, the whole family... Jacob's whole family, this is Joseph's father, they now are living in the land of Egypt. And so in chapter 49 and 50, we see the account of how Jacob, which is Joseph's father, lives for another 17 years. And he lives his good life now because his family is all together and after 17 years, he passes away. But it's here in this moment that, that the brothers, although there was a time when, when Joseph looked at his brothers and he said, it's, it's okay, don't worry, they thought in that moment, we're fine. Our dad is here, but now at the death of Jacob, the brothers start to fear and think to themselves, oh my gosh, dad is gone. There is no ways that our brother really is going to forgive us. He was just doing it to please dad. You know what it's like? That one brother that just does everything in front of their parents, but behind the corner you think, yo. And so they have this fear. And so, so they're so worried about that. And Joseph hears their cry, their plea. And he responds to them from their plea with, with these words, which is, first of all, the anchor verse of our series. But also, it really is Genesis 50 verse 20 and 21 is really the underpinning theme of the whole book of Joseph, of this life, and particularly about plot twist. Because in this very moment, when his brothers are, they're saying, no, hold on, please, please don't harm us. Joseph responds, Genesis 15, and he says, as for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I know that you're worried that dad is dead, but don't fear for I'll provide for you, but not only you, and I'll provide for your little ones. 
And I want to conclude our series and the journey that we've been on by, by focusing on this verse. Because really what happens in the rest, because it goes to Genesis 50 verse 56, I mean 26, what happens to the rest of, of this book, we see how Joseph passes away. And then there's a moment how they take his bones back to, to his home country. And, but, but that's where it ends. But really this is the ending of Genesis and it is the underpinning theme of the whole book of when you read the book of Joseph from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50. You see, because it was because of this statement, you meant evil against me, talking to his brothers, but God meant it for good. It was because of that statement, I believe, Joseph lived from a different script. He lived a different life because of these very words that he said to his siblings. And today I've actually titled my message, Living by a Different Script. You see, what I mean by living by a different script is because when you, when you think of Joseph's life and the past four weeks that we've been unpacking it, and you go through the account of his life, you see how he had been through such terrible things. We, we looked and we saw how he had a Jerry Springer family, all of them coming together they, they were terrible to him. He went through abuse. He was thrown into the pit. He was thrown into, into this, this moment of he going, that's not me. I didn't do that. But no one would listen. And he went through all of this. So when you look at his life, he should have been able to say, yeah, my life is like this. You know what? I'll never forgive you because of what you have done. In actual sense, he, he should have lived his life from a different script as a victim. Going, look what you have done to me. Look at the start of my life. Look what's happened to me. He should have lived from a different script. But Joseph decided to do things differently. Joseph decided from the very beginning that he was going to allow God to play out the story of his life. Not what man said it should be. See, you the brothers intended for evil, but my God, he chose a different narrative for his story of his life and the way that he would express it. And because he chose a different story, he lived out his life differently. And when you go through and you read every single, Psalm 37, and we didn't unpack every single chapter, we would need a lot longer to do the series. But when you go through this, you see how he chose a different story to live his life from. You see, it's so easy in moments like this when, when life gets the better of us, when we experience a plot twist, when we literally say, I didn't see this coming. I didn't choose this for my life, but look where I've landed, that we can easily go and play the victim card in our story. And to be able to say things like, well, you know what? There's no hope for me. To be able to say things like, well, God, God, you're evil. Why did you allow this to happen? If you have a God that is good, then why is the evil that is taking place in my world? God, there's nothing that's good that ever happens in my life. Anyone caught themselves saying that? It's nothing good that ever comes out. And we start to speak a false narrative of our own lives. And what I mean by false narrative is that when we have this idea of who God is and how he is, when we start to say, God, you caused this to me. When we maybe assume that God is just literally sitting in heaven, throwing little lightning bolts down at us and saying, yeah, you see, you will be punished now. Look what happens. You did this. Now this is what you get. God doesn't work like that. You see, remember we started the year and we spoke about the way in which you view God will determine the way in which you approach Him. 
Meaning if you view God as a loving God, your relationship with him, there would be a loving relationship. But if I view God that he's just this old angry man that sits at the top with this big rule book that is literally marking wrong, you did wrong, you, okay, well done, you did that, right, wrong. I'm going to treat my relationship with God like that. And so I want to conclude this series by saying, how did Joseph live from a different script? The world should have said he could have been like this. He could have spoken his story like this, but he chose a different narrative for his life. How do we, who are going through many plot twists of our own, facing grief, facing disappointment, facing retrenchment, facing cancer reports, we're going through these moments in our lives. How do we live from a different script? There are three principles that I want, to, I want to land this series with. Looking from our verse, Genesis 50, our anchor verse, the first one I want you to see when you look at the beginning of the verse, it says, for you meant evil against me. Principle number one that we have to hold on to. When we are in the very plot twist of our lives is number one, God is sovereign over all. He even over the evil things that people might do to you and I. God is sovereign even over the evil things that people might have done to you. You see, the truth is, and as much as I'd love to say that none of us would be, will experience this, this thing called evil, that we wouldn't experience these moments of when people do things to us, as much as I'd love to say that you would never experience that, the truth is, for the majority of us, we have. You see, because we live in a world that is fallen, where sin was entered, Genesis 3, what happened, we, we speak about there was a fallen world that we live in. And because of that, there is evil things that have entered into our world. People, there's evil in hearts and there's evil intent, what people do. And Joseph knew this. He experienced this firsthand, what his brothers did to him, how he experienced life, what he went through, falsely accused. He experienced the intent of evil in his life. You see, you look at that word, meant. When you look at the Hebrew and you look at the Greek, when they would take that word, the original, it actually means to weave or to fabricate, to plot. You see, there was evil that was intended. They, they, they literally, there was intention to go, I'm going to weave this evil into the story. And Joseph experienced that. He went through life where it wasn't like, oh, sorry, I made a mistake here. They were intentional about bringing evil into the space and into his life. And I'm so aware that for, for many of us, there's been evil that has been done to you. If I look at our pray and praise, our, our, our prayer group, that our WhatsApp group, the intercessory group, and I read some of these things, there's times where I, there's a part of me that's like, I just want to leave that group. Because it can become so overwhelming and I keep on thinking, I'm saying, God, how are we going to deal with this? God, how is this? God, how? Because there's evil in our world that has taken place. Some of you, evil being done within a marriage. It's been abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse. Maybe as a kid growing up, you've experienced abuse in your life. People that you are meant to have trusted have taken advantage over you. It's evil. Or maybe, maybe it's not necessarily in, in that aspect and you're like, oh, that's so extreme. But maybe it's in a workspace where a business partner has intentionally gone against and it's literally fabricated and there's been words that have been said about you and you're thinking, that, what? 
And you think, that was, that was fabricated. You, you like literally tried to weave this thing into the story, but that's not true. And you experience this evil. Joseph understood that. But what you need to understand when you read this account of Joseph, although he, he knew that there was evil, one of the things whenever we read through this account, he had no idea how the story would end. You see, when we read it, we flip the page to just go to the next part of the story. There was no flipping of pages when you're sitting for two years in a prison. It was not like, okay, this is going to pass now when you just go over. And for me, even when I read through the account again, I was like, actually, I don't really understand the weight and the severity of the situation because I'm reading the story and I know how it's going to end. So there's like hope in me as I read it. But in that point of time, Joseph had no idea how this would all play out in his journey. But there was one thing, even though he didn't understand that, there was one thing that he completely knew and he trusted. The one thing that he held on to was that he knew that God was sovereign. And that even in the midst of what evil people were doing, that God was still sovereign over the evilness that was taking place in his very world. And it was because of that trust, because of being sovereign, the God's sovereignty in his life, that got him through the darkest days, those moments of sitting in a prison, in a pit, falsely accused, family turning against him. It was in those moments that he was able to say, I will still live my life by a different script to what everyone else thinks it should be. And you know what that word sovereign means? You look at the biblical definition, it says there is absolutely nothing. This is what sovereignty means. That there is nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and authority. Meaning there's nothing too great, too small. There is, hear me, nothing. There is nothing that is out of God's influence or authorities. As kings of kings and lord of lords, God has no limitations. What does that mean? He is in control of everything. So that means that he's even in control of the evil that takes place. And then you say to him, but then why doesn't he stop it? Why did he allow that to happen? Why did God allow this, the famous question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? There's some things that we will never know. And I'll get to that in my sermon. But the truth is, the sovereignty of God is that even in that... We can know that God is still good. And I want to just clarify something here about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God does not mean that we just passively endure situations that we're in. I need to say this. If you're in a situation where you're abused, I'm not just saying just endure it because it's the sovereignty of God. You have the right to report certain things. If you're in a relationship where you're being physically abused and you're thinking, I don't know how to do this. If you're a child or if it's in a workspace and there's abuse that's taking place, you need to say something. Speak up about it. And he's saying, but I don't know how to go to authorities. Come to the church then and say, I need a safe place and guidance in what I should do. And so, so I'm not just saying we endure those kind of things and just uh, brush it off. Not at all. But what I want trying to emphasize is the sovereignty of God as believers. Hear me, when we understand as believers the sovereignty of God, we can know that regardless of the difficult circumstances and the plot twists and the grief and the pain and the trials, regardless of that, we need to know that God is still in control. Let me tell you this, the devil is not in control. If you are a believer of Jesus, 
The devil is not in control of you. People, evil people are not in control. Who is in control? God. Because he's sovereign even over the evil things that people may do. And we see this throughout scripture. Samson. His parents are like, don't do this. Don't marry a Philistine woman. And He went against it. And yet, even though he sinned, God said, I'm going to use that. You look at the story of David's son. Sinfully, literally, another Jerry Springer moment. He committed incest with his father's concubines. And he literally he did it in public as well. And so what happens is that, that God says, I will use what you wanted for public. I will use it. And it changed the whole dynamic of what happened for David's son. You even take Rehoboam's son, which is King Solomon's son. Also, he went with the division. He didn't listen to the wise counsel of taking over as a, after his dad. And so he causes a division. And literally, the Lord said, in these turn of events, I will establish a prophet. And then we saw how the story changes and the list can go on and on and on about people who were evil and yet God is still over the evil. And I need you to hear that because sometimes our narrative is that we think that God brings evil into our lives. That's not true. That's a false narrative that we're living from. You see, because Joseph recognized that even in these big things of his life, even in the things that happen and abuse and all these big things that God is still sovereign, he also recognized that even in the smallest details, what sometimes we just struggle with as coincidence, God is still even in that. Why? Because Joseph saw everything from the hand of God. Every detail of his life he saw from the hand of God. He didn't just put it into little boxes and say, right, this is the big things. That's what God deals with. Yeah, but you know my everyday thing like sitting in traffic? No, no, that's, God's not there. No. God's in the every details. He's in the car problems, the traffic jams, the sick children, the block drains. He's in every detail. We just need to be able to recognize the sovereignty of God. Conversations we have with people We can either just view it as, oh, that was a coincidence that I had this conversation with this person. Or we can view it as, no, that's how the Holy Spirit was directing my path. He will whisper into my ear versus left or right, which way and path to take. That is what is known as the sovereignty of God. And I want you to hear why am I stressing this point? You see, because there is nothing, there is nothing that could ever separate us from God. The way in which Joseph was able to live a different script is because he knew this truth that God works all things for the good of those who are called to his purposes. And so because he knew that, he knew there would be nothing, not even evil, that can separate. So the first thing is we see is that we need to, God's sovereignty is above even what people, evil people might do to us. But then you look at the second part of the verse. You see in Genesis 3, 50, it says, you intended for evil, but look, it says, but God meant it for good. And I want you to notice here, when Joseph was saying, you meant evil against me, he wasn't speaking about God, yeah. He was talking to his brothers, he was talking to man. And he was saying, you did that. Why? Because God doesn't bring evil into our lives. Because God is always good. We declare that words, God, you are so good. Everything from above is good. And, and, and you look at this and you think of even the famous verse, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, which you can see on literally every kumbuk poster, every little profile thing. You can see it all over the place. And yet, do you understand the context of where that was written from? Jeremiah, the prophet who wrote that, him and the people were, in, were being exiled 
meaning they were being kicked out of their own country. They were being shoved off and saying, no, no, there is no home for you. Put yourself in that context. Being kicked out of your house, going, cheers, there's nothing for you. And then all of a sudden, the Lord says, for I know the plans I have for you. They are plans of good and not for evil. They are plans for a future and a hope. And you're thinking, where? We need to understand that God is always good. That's why the psalmist could write in Psalm 119, it says, before I was afflicted, before I went astray, now I obey your word. Why? Because you are good. And what you do is good. You see, the way in which, in which we view God and the way in which we view him will determine the way we approach him. And I need to say this again. God does not do evil to you and I. He doesn't bring evil. There are people that will do evil things to us because of the fall of man. There are things and situations that might happen in our lives that you say to me, but how? It's that fundamental truth. They intended it for evil, but God can even take that and he can still use it for good. It's that that enables you to live by a different script. And you know, it's so easy to be able to say these kind of things when you are in the, van, in the top of the mountains and things are going well and it's blessed, brother, blessed, everything is good, good, good. It's easy to see the goodness of God in moments like that. But shoo, shoo, when you're in the plot twist, when you're being falsely accused in a workspace, and you think to yourself, God, where are you? Is your goodness still there? And you know, and that's often where we can think, oh, everything's against me. And we can then play on that story. Everything's against me. There's just no good that's going to take place. And you know, Joseph's father, Jacob, he experienced this. He, very, he, he actually said these words. Because in a moment when there, there was nothing, because we know in this, the account of Joseph is that there was a great famine and the only country that still had produce was Egypt. And that was because of Joseph and the way he led. He was the prime minister, basically, of that country. And so the way he led, he, they had enough food. And so people had to come to Egypt or they would starve to death. And it was in that moment, Jacob sent his son saying, you need to get us food. Go to Egypt. And they come in. And in, the, in this point, they have no idea that that's their brother, Joseph, who's the prime minister. They just know that there's, there's, a, there's a leader that is, that is in charge. But Joseph recognizes his brothers and says, here are my siblings. And so he says to them, he says, I'm taking captive Simeon. I'm leaving him here. And I want you to go back to your father, his own dad, and he says to them, go get Benjamin for me. Now I understand Benjamin was his real biological brother. And you see how the brothers go back to their dad. And they're like, dad, you won't believe what happened. We went there, they kept one of our brothers and now they're demanding for Benjamin. And at that very point, Jacob literally says in Genesis 42, 36, he says, you've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more because they all think he's dead. He's gone. There's no future. He says, now Simeon is no more. He's been taken into captive. And now they want Benjamin. And look at what he says of this. Everything is against me. Anyone else felt like that in life? And the plot twist, just you're thinking, okay, I'm tired of the plot twist now. Can we stop? 
then you just think everything is against me. And then what can tend to happen is that then we play our story out, our narrative of our lives, our actions, the way in which we approach life based on that. But you know, that's not true. Because if you think about what actually happened, if there wasn't the famine that happened in the whole land, and if it wasn't for Joseph, who was a great leader and had the reserves, there would be no way that Jacob would have sent his son so he'll get food. And if they didn't go to get food because of the famine, they would not have met their brother and that wouldn't have had that moment. And if they didn't meet it, they would never be reunited. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> they will be united again because everything is against me. <laughs> That was a word I said in the first service. But the point being, if that didn't happen, Jacob the father would never have seen his son again. They would never have had forgiveness as a family. But yet, poor dad is going, everything is against me, everything is against me. And so often, we can be in a place like that, where we feel everything is against us. And sometimes it is because of decisions that we make that lands up in hot waters. Often, if I think about my own life, it's because of decisions I've made that I've got myself into a position like this. And often because I thought, can I really trust your sovereignty, God? Are you really above the situation? I cannot see the outcome, so, so I can't wait anymore. I need to take control of the situation. And that's often, that is when we doubt the sovereignty of God. You see this in the life of, of David. David, the great ruler, great king, a man after God's own heart, that's what he was ended off. They know him as a hero of faith and the great cloud of witnesses. We, 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 we know David as this hero. But yet he made decisions that doubted the sovereignty of God. The account of, remember, Saul was chasing, the mad king Saul was chasing David because he wanted him dead. But David the whole time was going, but I've been promised that I'm going to have a seat on the throne. I've been promised this, I've been promised that, but it's not happening. And so he doubts God's sovereignty for his life. And so he takes things into his own hands like we do so well. And he goes, you know what? I'm just going to leave all of this. I'm going to go to, to another. I'm going to go to the, 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 the enemies. And in 1 Samuel 27, it says there that he thought, because of this, the best thing for me to do is to escape to the Philistines, and I'm going to go make life there because Saul will never go and catch me there. He's not going to come look in the enemy's camp to find me. It was quite clever what he thought, but it didn't work out for him. Because there he gets there, he convinces the pagan king, no, I'm, I, I will serve you and I will be a part of this. The pagan king is like, cool, go ahead. Ziglag is a country, that you, a, a nation that you can go into. Um, he establishes there, him and these men, they're all happy that they got this land and their family safe. And, and Saul isn't chasing him anymore. So things are good for him. But then, all of a sudden, he gets himself into hot waters because the king, the pagan king and the Philistines say, we need to go war against Saul. And now he's thinking to myself, how do I go against war against them? They're going to see me. And secondly, my, my best friend, Jonathan, I'm going to have to fight against. And so off they go. And then somehow God works it all that eventually the king says, go back. Go take your men and go back to Ziglag. And he thinks, I've been saved. 
And then he gets there in the moment he gets back to Ziglag, only to discover raiders have come. They've destroyed everything and they've taken their women and children. And at this point, the men that were following David and thinking to myself, where have you taken? You've taken us into enemy grounds. We're pretending to live like this. And now they've taken our women and children. And it says in scripture to that point where he says they wanted to stone him. Plot twist to another level for this great leader. But then comes a great verse, 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Now, we don't know exactly what happened in this moment where he found strength, but if we read the, the Psalms and we see how he would respond, he obviously came to the place and said, I'm sorry for doubting your sovereignty in my life. I'm sorry for trying to take things into my own control, and I associate with this because I often will do this, try to take things back into my own hands. And so he humbled himself under God's sovereignty, and he thought to himself, I'm going to follow, but then he thought, but what about our women and children? And so then he thinks to myself, I have to go and ask the pagan king, can we go and find our women and children? But what if he said no? What is he going to do? But you know what the great thing of the story and where where you see it all happening is that even though David got himself into so much trouble of his lack of faith, trying to take things into his own control, the gracious God said, I will work even those things that you have messed up. I will work it. You see, because in the battle against the Philistines, King Saul and Jonathan were killed, which meant that this was now an opening for David to take the throne. And then God graciously allowed David and his men to now go recover the women and the children. You see the point of the story that at even at the lowest moment, even at David's lowest moment, when you think, God, you're, where are you? Surely, where's the goodness? God, look at the evil that has taken place. That he could look back and see the sovereignty of God in the midst of all the things that he had been facing. Which leads me to the last one which we need to hold on to. Is number three, trust the sovereign goodness of God in the midst of our plot twists. Trust in the sovereign goodness of God and why do I say we need to trust God's sovereignty? It's because it may be years, or perhaps only in eternity, before we might figure out actually how God was going to use this very trial plot twist for our good. We might be in a situation where you think, but we were good parents. We did all of this. How did our kid land up like that? But we tried everything in our marriage. We, we lived healthy lives and yet cancer. We, 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 how God, we might not ever get the answer on this side of earth. Because like I said, when you read the account of Joseph in the prison, he had no idea when it would end. But I can only imagine because when you see his life and the way he lived and the different script that he lived his life out by and how it resulted and what it ended, that he was in a space where I'm pretty sure every morning when he woke up in that misery pit of a dungeon and he thought to himself, God, I know you're still in control. 
this is not, I don't want to be here. Where are you? But God, I'm trusting that you have placed me here in this place at such a time like this for your very purpose. That's what it means to trust in the goodness of God's sovereignty. When we can come to the place and we say, God, although I'm hurting and I'm in pain and, and hear me, I'm not at all sane. And that's why I said about sovereignty, we don't just endure it. If there's abuse, you must report it. But the same thing with sovereignty, just because we trust in the sovereignty of God, it doesn't mean that we must just smile. Kumbaya, my Lord, and we just happy clappies with our tambourines and nothing's wrong with us. We're just those happy clappy Christians. I'm not saying that. You see, because when you look at the life of Joseph, there's a word that he said that really showed the emotional space that he was in. There was a word that theologians have written so many things about, this word that he said which depicts how he was really feeling. He was a man who trusted the sovereignty of God, but look what it says in Genesis 43 verse 13. He, Joseph, was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and he wept. Wept is a word. Theologians have written so much as saying it, it's, a, it's a powerful word. It wasn't he shed a tear. He wept because he felt the pain. Some of us, you can feel the pain. And you weep. But even in that, and this is the beauty of our God and the way we see Him will determine the way we approach Him, is that you know that you can come with that very brokenness and weeping, overcome with emotion, broken down to our Savior, and even in those emotions be able to still say, God, I'm so broken right now, but I trust in your sovereignty for my life. That's inner transformation that takes place when we can come into a place like that. You see, because it's, it's, it's coming to a place where we have to make a decision to say, it can't just be words that keep me there. Yeah, because words, we can say all we want. You know, on Monday I'm starting my diet. I promise you I'm starting my diet. I'm starting my diet. And it's just words. But if something doesn't change here, then you make a decision going, this is, this is the new lifestyle. This is the new thing I'm going to do. It's just purely words. You see, for us to be able to live from a different script, for us as believers to say, you know what? Despite the circumstances, despite the pain, despite that I, and the plot twist, I can have a different script for my life. But it calls us upon something trusting God is a lifestyle it's a daily decision Joseph had to make that decision and, I, and sometimes I say daily maybe it's hour by hour literally saying God I'm going to trust you in this I'm going to trust you and when we're doing that ultimately we're saying I'm trusting God to be the center of my life saying God you are at the center because can I tell you if you decide that you're going to have happiness at your center you're going to be very disappointed in life. I'm not saying don't be happy. Hello. 
the mission of our church. And the very culture saying, we say, fun filled, we must. We, I, I believe in that. I don't believe God called us to be born through Christians. But happiness can't be the thing because life comes and disappointment goes. And if that's the thing that we centered, everything, I'm just building a life so that we can be happy and have everything. No. In this life, you'll have many troubles. When we put God at the center and we're saying, God, you are at the center of my life and it's a daily thing. Richard Raw, a famous priest and an author, he said this, this quote, he says, we do not think ourselves into a new way of living. We live ourselves into a new way of thinking. And he goes on to say in his post, he says, the form of learning which most changes people in lasting ways has to touch them at a broader and a deeper level than just the thinking. Because then he says this, an open heart is an open mind. A change of heart is a change of mind. You see, you can have all the right words and you can say all these things and I'm going to just think myself into a new way of living. Actually, we have to live ourselves into a new way of, thinking, of living. And how do we do that? Is by saying, God, you are at the center. I'm making a decision that I'm going to live like this about trusting God. And we have to live ourselves into that place. How do we have a different script for our lives? It's not about just having a cool saying and I'm going to do this. It's about living those very practices out of trusting God, of unwavering faith, on the power of forgiveness. That's how we live a different script. And I really believe that's the way God has called for us in this season. This series is a God-timed series for where many people find themselves. And in week one, I spoke about how you saw the parallels of how we theologians have compared Joseph and Jesus and you've seen the similarities between them. You see, because they were both men that were betrayed by the very ones that loved them. They were both men that were falsely accused and beaten, abused. Both of them were thrown into a prison. Jesus with two criminals on the cross, Joseph with two prisoners in, a, in, in the prison cell. And both of them forgave the people that meant to have loved them. Joseph forgives his brothers. Jesus forgives us, mankind, for the ones who turn their back against him. And you say, why? Because Joseph was actually the pre-prophecy of what Jesus would do for us. And you go, well, we know what Jesus did for us. That's why we went to the table this morning. You see, because in Isaiah 53, we see how he took on all our sins. He was beaten. He was mocked. He took upon everything because on the third day, when they got to the tomb and they looked and the woman said, but where is he? He was gone. Because why? He's a risen Savior. Church, and each year, we do not serve a God that's dead. We do not serve something that just sits on a shelf or a stone statue that we go to. We serve a living God. And because of that living hope, what we heard in, in Breaking a Bread, as we sang those songs, that is why we can declare, I can see a victory. It's not false speaking. It's because we have a living hope. Proverbs speaks about this. Proverbs 23, it says, your future is bright and filled with what? A living hope. How do we live a different script to what the world says it should be? Or what we even maybe have thought and try to believe ourselves, this is what my life is. Because of a living hope. And that living hope will never fade 
away. It means it gives us confidence. Confidence to face tomorrow even in our deepest grief. It means confidence to be able to show up to say, you know, you guys did this, but this is a choice that I've made. It's confidence to say, I'm going to live a different life. It's the confidence that comes from the Holy Spirit that is within us and that is living. And because of the Holy Spirit, it enables us to live our ordinary. It takes us to the extraordinary. When people look and they say, it's impossible. How can you live your life like that? What you've been through? Well, yes. If I relied on my own script, the way that I saw myself, the way that I thought people saw me, yeah, well, then I would be like that. But I have a living hope that lives inside of me. His name is Jesus. And because of that story that he went to the cross and on the third day he rose, it means that I have confidence of a living God that can take what seems dead. No hope, no future. God, where are you? Why did you allow that? I can take that and say, they might have brought evil, but you, God, you meant it for good. That's why Romans 8, and I end with this, we can declare these words. That in all things, take note, we are completely victorious. I'm going to see a victory. Why? Because the battle belongs to him. It is victorious because look what it says. Because he showed his love for us. And this is what we need to be sure of. No evil, nothing, neither death, nor angels, nor ruling spirits, nothing in the future, nothing in the past, nothing can ever separate us or come between us for the love of God. But we have a choice in how we live our script. We have a choice in how we're going to play out the narrative of our lives. And my prayer, as we conclude, is that we would choose to live the narrative of Jesus for our life. That we can speak the name of Jesus above all other names over my marriage. I can speak the name of Jesus over my health. The name of Jesus over our family. What you intended for evil, I speak the name of Jesus, who is always good. Come and let's pray together. And in this moment, as we, as we finish, we wrap up our whole series. I want to ask you this question. What script are you living by for your life? Or whose script are you reading about your life? Is the words that you have spoken of yourself or others? Or is it what the word of God speaks about you? And today I'm asking you, Can you trust a good father to take your life and say, I've got good for it? Will you trust him today? So Lord, I pray for, for all of us, myself included, 
that I would keep coming back to that place of, of recognizing that your sovereignty in my life, it means that you're in control of everything, that you're in control of, of, of when evil things that have taken place, that you're in control of things that have happened in my past, God, that you're in control of the things that happen in my future, the great things, the small things, you're in control of every aspect and your sovereignty is good. And because of that goodness, that's what enables me to live my life differently, to speak differently, to, to show up differently. And so God, I pray that that would be the script that we would play out on our lives. Cemented in us, I pray. And as we continue to pray, every week we take this opportunity and I'll never miss it or never get tired of doing it. To ask this question, maybe you have never given your life to God. You've never given him the pain for your life to say, actually, you write this. You've taken control. You've held it. And today, Scripture speaks about he comes and he knocks. And I believe God is knocking at the hearts of people saying, well, you come to me. You might have lived, and as a young kid, you might have followed, but in actual fact, you know the truth that you're not living in that place where you are allowing God to write your story. Well, today you can. You can make a decision to say, I'm giving my, this pain over to you, God. And so in this space, all eyes are closed because it's a private moment. You're saying, Dan, I want to make a decision today. I've backslidden. I used to follow when I was young, but I've completely lost it. I've never made that decision that today I'm going to give my life to God. I'm going to give him the pain. If that's you, just lift your hand. You're saying, Dan, will you pray for me? I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to ask to do anything. But you're saying, will you, will you pray for me? Amen. Right at the back. You can put your hand down. And I want you to say this prayer with me right now. Father, today I give you the pen to write my story. I, I, I know that you are good despite even what we are going through right now. And it's because of that that enables me to live by a different script. And so today, I ask that you forgive me and I choose to follow you. And God's people say together, Amen. Amen. We trust that you enjoyed listening to the sermon today. We would love to stay in touch with you about your next steps. Please send us a WhatsApp or contact us via our website. We'd love to help you on your discipleship journey.